Welcome to the Thanks Therapy Podcast. Before we start, if you're in crisis or need urgent support, please Google the Samaritans and the country in which you live. Help can be found online and via the phone. We also put local and national helpline numbers and links in the show notes and on social media. Don't suffer alone. Things can and will get better. Enjoy the show. Hello, I am Dr. Emma Lydon. And I'm Hannah Lydon, and this is our therapy appreciation podcast, Thanks Therapy. Where we hope to demystify, destigmatize, and encourage the appreciation of good and useful therapy. And today we are talking about the duration of therapy. So, how long you keep attending therapy, and when do you end it? Thanks Therapy! Thanks Therapy! So, Hannah, ironically, we have struggled to start the episode (laughs) about ending therapy. It's been challenging. Also, ironically, because we both have mental health problems (laughs) and they have got in the way. We um, might have written this about three weeks ago at this stage. Yeah. Because we were going to do an episode on ending and then we had our episode with um, Martha Campbell which we were, you know, we wanted to get done as soon as we could. So we had that written, did our our interview episode, and then it's been about two weeks of um, problems. Problems, back-to-back problems. There was a storm. Yes, the storm was fun. excuse to not record, but that didn't, it compounded things. Because there was a day when I just wasn't willing to go outside. Also, uh, at the end of the, the interview episode... We didn't acknowledge it, but I had maybe the worst cold a human has ever had. Yes, and I that's could barely true. talk or breathe or use my eyes. <laughs> so <laughs> that was also a hindrance. Um, and I hope that nobody was bothered by the fact that it sounded like I had turned into a goose. There was one time I was listening to an episode of This Young in Life, and <laughs> whenever Joseph spoke, instead of his normal voice when he was speaking like that, he was speaking, like and I was like, "What's wrong with Joseph?" What's going on? Um, but he very quickly acknowledged it, whereas we just completely brushed over the fact that you clearly we sh- were absolutely dying of the cold. We should have acknowledged it because I have mentioned it at insane. least. Well, I'm fine now because I've had two weeks to recover. <laughs> yeah. Because we've been dicking about not recording this episode. So sorry about that, fans. I know. Well, to be honest, what happened to me was basically my working eight days a week caught oh. up with me essentially. And I had been doing that thing that you do very often when you're really overwhelmed, where you tell people constantly, I can't keep this up, you know, I really can't keep this up. <laughs> and then, you know, that comes true and you and you quickly crash and, and become totally exhausted. So that's really what happened to me. Um, but I had mentioned to you a good three weeks ago or four weeks ago that I was drawing my current... Um, therapy to a close Mm -hmm. and that prompted us to talk about endings in general yes this is going to be an interesting episode for me because I haven't really had to consider endings since I last terminated a period of therapy which was when I was only 18 so that's a mere pop 14 years ago what that's not true so let's get into it why are we talking about this this week well 
Um, so I thought I should start by sharing a bit about how I came to the decision that it was a good time to draw this particular round of therapy to an end. Um, so I've been attending since December 2020 and I had a bit of a break over the summer. And But by the time we finish, it will be around a year in total duration. Um, so that for me is the longest time that I've been in therapy since I was in training. Mm. So when you're in counselling training, you have to do usually a minimum of 40 hours over the course of your training. And I think it's much more actually for psychotherapy. It's quite intensive for psychotherapy. Yeah, I think it's like five times a week or something for part of the training. Anyway, I went to therapy regularly when I was in training, but honestly, I just went through the motions when I was there with that because I didn't have much I wanted to bring to therapy. Um, at that time in my life. In this recent bit of therapy, though, I've obviously had one of the most difficult times of my adult life, with, really without a close second. So um, we lost my brother, Mark. We also had the old pandem. Mm. And I had another situation which was very destabilizing. I honestly have not cried so much as I've cried in these last two years. And so while I'm still grieving, because that doesn't just go away in a short period of time, obviously, in, a, in, you know, six months or whatever. There's no time frame for grief. Um, I also had a period where I didn't really feel in control of my emotions. So I had regular, very bad days. And the process of therapy really helped me to get through the things that were causing those problems um, to process them, to resolve some of them, although I can't really specifically say how in many of the cases. And so recently I felt more in control, more level and more like I'm in the driving seat and less preoccupied with those things that were upsetting me and more philosophical about them. I just started to feel less urgency about going to therapy. I was like, oh, I can't wait to go to therapy every time. And then I was starting to feel like, I felt like I had less to bring to therapy. So then it felt like, you know, it was logical to sort of bring it to a close. Yeah. That is, everything you said there is very impressive. Oh, thanks very mm. much. Right. Um, I, yeah, that's, my process is not similar to that in any way. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think what you're saying is you had a destabilizing time yes and very much you so. were destabilized and the past two years for humanity have been destabilizing in the extreme yeah still continue Things to be have been fucked up since 2016 mm. and nothing has been normal so let's not all just forget that we're operating out of that backdrop absolutely if anyone yeah. is listening and feeling like a fucking weirdo yeah that's fine because everything's weird um i tend to think of you as generally quite a stable genius <laughs> so when you said to me you were going to start going to therapy just to deal with that stuff that you've mentioned, I was like, brilliant idea. As we've mentioned on this podcast before, it makes life easier if you don't wait till it's crisis time yes. before getting some counselling or therapy sorted. And that's Ideally. exactly what you did because mm. you're quite organised person, even in the middle of grief and stress and pandemic and having to homeschool your children and your dogs got a lot of emotional problems yes. I've noticed as well. It's very intense. Um, and it's good as well because we are quite different in this respect. Like speaking of stability, I tend to not be that consistently emotionally stable. So for me, therapy is like a baseline that I need to have in place in order to feel like I'm semi taking care of my shit, which right. is why on the topic of this episode, mm -hmm. endings have not been 
on my radar for the past couple of years. Mm. Like uh, I've been going to my current therapist for coming on four years. Mm-hmm. And at one point she brought up the f- what would have to happen if we were going to end. Right. Okay. And I was this like, is important. Yeah. Are you breaking up with me? Like, what? <laughs> why are you mentioning this? Uh-huh. I was not having it but she was just saying this is what would need to happen Uh should you decide you know you can't just bail basically um so this is a totally new area for me and I'm interested here I think we're going to have very different uh approaches yeah but you you obviously have that's that is personal experience of discussing the the prospect of ending within a therapy relationship so that's definitely very relevant to what we're talking about for sure yeah that is true So I would like to preface this next part of my contribution to this episode by saying that this week I tried to deliberately subvert the rules that we have established for ourselves on this podcast, Emma. And I did some mega research (gasps) because I'm a university student now and I have access to many papers and journals and all this material. You know, I love that stuff. I I love it as well, I've discovered. (laughs) So what I found was a lot of manuals for psychotherapy mm-hmm. and ended up just reading them instead of doing my actual university work. Sure. Um, a one phrase that comes up repeatedly in these texts when they're talking about the subject of ending is affect a heavy or affect inducing. That's affect, like affect. A-F-F-E-C-T. Yeah. Affect heavy or affect inducing, yeah. Did I say affect? No, you just... It's hard to tell. The stress was wrong, I think, so it's affect, yeah. Affect? Yeah. Ben Affleck, which I find <laughs> <laughs> I find this fascinating because for those listening who are not psychology nerds like me and Ems, affect is how clinicians and psychologists refer to emotion and displays of emotion. Yeah. And it is usually mentioned alongside cognition, which, as the name suggests, is um, all to do with processes of thought, problem solving, memory, all that good stuff. Um, and these terms will be relevant for this episode because I think... Well, this is a big simplification of both processes, but psychotherapy might be associated more with emotional, the emotional side of things, and CBT with the cognitive, as the name would suggest, it's cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm -hmm. So with relation to endings and ending therapy, the term affect-filled being used to to describe it is really telling. Yeah. Because it suggests that in a program of therapy where there maybe hasn't been a set number of sessions the prospect of ending the sessions and ending the therapeutic relationship has to be brought up by either the client or the therapist. It doesn't just end after a set number. Yes. Um, what I learned from these textbooks that I randomly found is that initiating the ending of a course of quote-unquote deeper work can often bring up all kinds of spicy stuff, mm-hmm. such as regression, transference and counter-transference, yeah. which we'll talk about later, big feelings, attachment issues, all of which is... This is the stuff. It is. The real stuff. This is the stuff we like. Um, maybe we should just quickly explain some of those concepts because I don't think we have before. Yeah. So regression is a subconscious defense mechanism whereby a client regresses to an earlier developmental stage, like emotionally, like an infantile stage. And I know that sounds very extreme, like somebody's going to start behaving like a baby in the chair. But to normalize it a bit, just think of how often you get into petty arguments at family dinners. Mm. Like when you go back to the parental home often and siblings are there and things. Like even if you're <clears throat> approaching 40, <laughs> you can find yourself in you know a bickering match. And that's often because particular complexes make you regress into an earlier stage of emotional maturity. That stage gets triggered. So that can happen when therapy is ending. 
Um, and then transference and countertransference. This is something that I was talking about with the student mental health nurses that I was teaching um, a few weeks ago. Um, because there are concepts that took me a while to grasp, really. So transference is when a client projects onto the therapist a past relationship. So the classic example is projecting onto the therapist like a parental relationship. And so then this can lead to confusing the motivations of the therapist. Mm. So how that might come up in endings is like, you're rejecting me just like my father, that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And then countertransference is when a therapist... And the therapist's process is disrupted by feelings about the client, which are based on things from the therapist's life and unrelated to the client's behavior. Yeah. So the therapist's unresolved feelings, because therapists, believe it or not, are people too. They are people <laughs> as well. Have complexes and difficulties <laughs> and everything else. Um, and while transference is really often part of the client's process, it can be quite useful in therapy. Countertransference is more problematic and can be super damaging if the therapist doesn't take that to supervision and work out why they're reacting to the client and resolve it basically yeah that all sounds quite complicated um but you guys are smart you'll be fine <laughs> um i love the stuff around like transference it because everything i've read about it tends to emphasize that it is a thing it will come up mm -hmm. but it doesn't have to be a bad thing as long as you like identify acknowledge and work with it it can be really valuable it can be really useful and i think it's up to the sophistication of the of the therapist to recognize it really yeah that was all I was and also say. like there has to be a sort of readiness within the client like it's quite it can it can feel very vulnerable to address it in the room it can feel a bit attacking to say you know do you realize what's happening here yeah you know that this these feelings that you're having may not actually be about me you know mm. I think, yeah, it's a, it's a delicate situation, isn't it, really? Well, this is a perfect example. This is my, so here's my personal experience of learning what transference is. This okay. is how I learned <laughs> and how powerful it can be, is that this is maybe like a couple of years ago, two years ago or something. My therapist told me like well in advance, maybe, you know, a month and a half in advance that she was going to go on holiday for two mm. months. Right. And that we would resume after. And I was like, oh, that's amazing. Have a lovely time. Like, where are you going to go? That sounds gorgeous. And then I went home and I cried solidly for an entire week. Right. Between okay. the sessions. I was, I could not go to work. I was w walking around my house wailing. Aww. Really extreme. Um, and then I came back to session the next week and I was like, yeah, I'm so sad this week. I don't know why I'm crying so much. I'm so sad and lonely, but nothing's happened. It's such a mystery. Mm -hmm. And she was like, okay, have you, do you remember what we were talking about last week? Do you know about what transference is? Um, so, I mean, obviously that's paraphrased and, you know, she did it in an extremely professional way, but it ended up being a really useful thing for us to discuss uh -huh. in sessions after that, because it meant that we were prompted to discuss our client therapist relationship and discuss what that meant for me as the client and what feelings her going on holiday was bringing up in me quite, quite strongly. Yeah. Um, I look back now and find it funny, but at the time it was swift painful memorable demonstration of how powerful those processes can be and how they can be in, for in my case it was entirely unconscious yeah um so this was as if it was coming out of nowhere yeah um obviously i'm just a client just a client i can't speak <laughs> to the issue of counter transference but i think we've discussed before in this podcast that 
issues like this can and will come up in longer term therapeutic relationships and bringing up the stuff that arises from those tensions and difficulties within the relationship can yield really useful work for the client. Absolutely. Yeah. That's an um, example. That is, I mean, that's quite a strong example, mm-hmm. but there there will be many instances and um, it's all about the relationship, as mm-hmm. they say. Um, but to bring it back to our topic of endings this week, transference is worth mentioning because when the process of ending has been initiated, transferred feelings might suddenly become very relevant to the process because, quote unquote, termination of sessions is, after all, just a fancy way of saying ending a relationship mm. and that is not without its tribulations no but that is me talking about my own experience of psychotherapy and getting ahead of myself emma yes let's talk about shorter interventions and how a person attending counseling or therapy can expect to draw a close to close their sessions well first let me respond to what you're saying there because i think it's very um there's so many significant things that you said there. Obviously, I mean, we've talked before that we think your therapist is probably the best therapist in the world. Yeah. But that was such sophisticated work that went on. It was so, and, and you know, if that's done well, the deepening of the therapeutic alliance mm. is, you know, takes a leap forward, really, if that type of stuff is done really well. It was huge. Um, and I think psychotherapy often does deeper feeling work perhaps especially because the duration isn't fixed. So you need space and safety to do that deeper work. And that doesn't come in a short duration usually. Not everybody needs to do that. Um, But psychotherapy isn't the only avenue through which you could do deeply affect-filled work. Um, And you would have to carefully think and plan an ending. And I've been conscious that we, I feel like we sometimes ignore humanistic um, therapy, mm-hmm. which is very, in some ways can be more open-ended um, and it's certainly very affect-orientated. I think yeah, we yeah. tend to f- talk about psychotherapy and then conversely maybe CBT, but yeah. humanistic therapy is is really depth work and it's known for that. Mm-hmm. Um, some people's criticisms of those type of modalities might be that they're problem-focused rather than solution-focused. And that can contribute to people being a bit stuck or dependent, which is something we talked a lot about in therapy training. We were obsessed with, but would they become dependent? But they might become dependent. Really? We were obsessed with it in, in training. Yeah. Interesting. We were obsessed with a lot of these things. In fact, we were obsessed with ending. Right. I think you have to sort of, when you're training, you have to become obsessed with those minor issues so that you can really work through them and mm. go, you know, what. So one of the things that we talked a lot about with regard to ending was, um, having an intentional ending, um, not having a, a disjointed ending or a sudden ending or, you know, all of those kind of things that you wanted to end well with a client. Absolutely. And it's definitely something that is worked on. But I mentioned solution focused. I will come back to that. Um, but that would be one of the types of therapy that would have more of a fixed duration. So obviously people go to therapy for different lengths of time. So some types of therapy are very open-ended in terms of how long they might last. Um, But other types of therapy have a fixed duration, which is set or planned in advance. And sometimes this is due to funding. The delivery of therapy has become um, often delivered through the well, in our case, through the NHS, mm-hmm. and therefore it has to have a medical model. Somebody has to fund it. They have to say, well, how long is it going to take? Yeah. How long are they going to go for? Um, 
So I looked up some stats and according to the APA, so the American Psychological Association, for 50% of clients, it takes 15 to 20 sessions to feel better. 15 to 20, that's mm-hmm. very reasonable. I well, think. Yeah, I mean, that's a third of a year, isn't it? Yeah. Really? No, See, to me, nearly that half a year. 20 numbers. Not a strong <laughs> point. That's a normal amount of time. Yeah, that's that's a that's a good chunk, I think. Some people will need longer periods of treatment, like 12 to 18 months. As I said, my I've just had 11 months, really, of therapy. Um, and there are a growing number of modalities that have been developed and shown effectiveness after 12 to 16 sessions. So that's three months, four months. And that includes cognitive behavioral therapy, general counseling, as well as therapy specifically designed for shorter durations, like brief solution-focused therapy or solution-focused brief therapy is its real title. I know that's basically the same words, just in different orders, but... Some psychologist out there will be being, will be annoyed that you said the words <laughs> in the wrong order. <laughs> I always say brief solution-focused therapy, but it's... Solution-focused brief brief therapy therapy is the title, yeah. They want to put the solution focus at the start. I think so, yeah. So as the name suggests, it's future-focused, goal-orientated, focuses on solutions rather than on the problems that brought clients to seek therapy. So I'm going to tell you a wee bit about it, Hans, okay? Yeah. So it was developed by Steve DeShazner. He sounds cool. And Inzu Kimberg, who both have excellent names. Disco. In the 70s. And it incorporates positive psychology practices and principles. So brief solution therapists start by generating a detailed description of how the client's life will be better when the problem or difficulty is gone. And there are a number of different techniques to help clients do this. Um, Have you heard of the miracle question? No. So the miracle question is a technique that I did use occasionally because I had a I used a solution focused brief model. We had six sessions, so... Six? We had six sessions, yeah. So we, you have to have some sort of model that you're going to use if you want to help people in that time frame. I feel my eyebrows are creeping. I've, I've got lots of eyebrow-raising stuff to say to you, Hannah. Okay, I'm going to keep so, calm. <laughs> moment. So the miracle question is a technique to try and um, get people to further engage with the problems that they're experiencing. So basically I say to you... So after you go home from the session today, you go to bed and while you're sleeping, there's a miracle that occurs and the problem that you brought to talk to me about is solved. But because this happens when you're sleeping, you have no idea that there was a miracle and that the problem is solved. So when you're slowly coming out of your sound sleep, what would be the first small sign that will make you wonder there must have been a miracle, the problem is all gone. How would you discover this? Right. Okay. So what this question does is helps people explore their problem in a different way. And there are often really surprising or enlightening answers. Um, And sometimes they're frustrating answers as well, where people go, oh, well, you know, nothing could change. It shows that they're very stuck if they if they find it hard to answer the question. So I'm going to give you an example. So suppose the person says, well, I would notice that I felt able to get up and face the day without being stressed or worried. And then the therapist then says, so if you got up and faced the day without being stressed or worried, what would be the next small difference that you would notice to to tell you that the, the miracle had happened? And they'll say, well, I probably wouldn't shout at my partner and end up having a fight before I go out. And then the therapist says, and so if you didn't shout at your partner and end up having a fight, 
what would be the next thing that you would notice? Well, how, how is, would it be different then? And they might say, well, you know, then I wouldn't spend the day running over the argument in my head and, and, you know, feeling really unhappy. And basically the point of all of that is that these small parts start to build up a very different picture mm. of a very different day, which seems much more within reach than previously. Okay. And so the next step is then to get them to identify times when they've experienced in real life some aspects of their miracle description and then reinforcing and encouraging them to expand on those. So they might then say, well, actually, um, you know, last week I got a really good night's sleep and, um, you know, I was feeling good about work that day. And so when I got up, I felt more ready to face the day and then we didn't have an argument. And then, you know, I had a good day in work and, mm. you know, so they might okay, say, yeah. okay, it's about me managing my stress more effectively or, you know, whatever. So I used this technique and looked at the goals that people had. So it's also about setting goals. What do you want to get out of the counselling? You know, why are you here? Because I was working with parents very often. They were trying to solve a problem in the family home mm. um, or, you know, something that they were struggling with with their children's behaviour or something like that. Like acute problems? Often acute problems, yeah. Um, sometimes there were more, um, more chronic problems, but they weren't... They weren't really for those six sessions. They yeah. were often people went on to seek longer term work following that. Um, I help people explore what patterns they may have learned from their their parents. So there was history taken. There was, you know, delving into people's experiences for sure. And people were emotional and people cried and, and couples fought. And, you know, so there was definitely lots of feelings coming out in the room. Mm. Um, but we did that in quite a short space of time. Sometimes I helped them work through really practical problems. Like one older man was in a terrible state because he thought he had been overpaying his benefits mm. and he really thought like he was in debt to the government. That's so stressful. He was really, really, you know, very, and he thought he might go to jail, I think. He was oh very God. concerned about this. So I encouraged him to phone Citizens Advice Bureau. So I essentially supported him. We call it scaffolding. So you give you give the number mm -hmm. and you also support them to do it. You can encourage them. You say, you can do this, phone the number, it'll be okay. And he phoned them and they said, oh no, it's fine. We sorted it all out. It's all there. Okay, you have to, he might've had to pay back a pound a week or he, he might've been actually underpaid his benefits yeah. and he might have ended up better off and it was like a death sentence had been lifted yeah. you know so it isn't all deep diving repressed memories but it's nevertheless useful sometimes well that is that makes a lot of sense because those things I mean I'm sure anyone listening has had one of those boring like life admin tasks that you just put off mm. oh, because yeah. you're not in control of it it seems like a massive thing then you get that dread feeling then the next thing you know it's six months later and you haven't done anything about it and it seems insurmountable yeah. I have done that so many times in my life yeah and usually it just takes someone and usually it's you in mm. my life who comes in and it's like we're just going to phone them now yeah. and it's absolutely fine and usually it's grand. Well, because I did do that when I was when I was younger and um, the I, the repeated times of doing it, basically I learned that the feeling, the unpleasant feeling of not doing it is so much worse yeah. than the actual doing it. 
I still do it, but the, the time gets shorter yeah, <laughs> each that's, time. <laughs> that's growing up, baby. That's real progress. You're moving in the right direction. Well, I was really prepared to do eyebrows, 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 mm. and all of that brief solution-focused stuff, but that was very interesting. Mm. Uh, it's a really good point that I, in particular, sometimes forget to acknowledge on this podcast and in my life in general because, mm. like, as they say, sometimes it's not that deep. Sometimes it doesn't need to be that deep. Yeah. Those things you've just described are akin to like practical help delivered in a confidential setting with a kind person. Yeah. There might be other stuff, but at the moment they need these things dealt with. For that man you were discussing, that might have felt more manageable stress-wise than simply going to citizen's advice. Sometimes it takes like a, a gentler touch or someone with a... The right scaffolding in place, mm-hmm. like you said. Somebody, who, yeah, uh, reassurance. You know, sometimes a lot of the stuff you're doing with people is is reassurance and encouragement. You know, yeah, that's what we all need in life, man. Those are essentials. Yeah, and like you were describing earlier, like sometimes life does throw you an especially challenging set of circumstances, mm-hmm. and you just like and need a bit of extra help finding techniques to manage your stress. And the big emotions around those circumstances. Yeah. And in other cases, like for me, you want to do the deep work. Yeah. And explore the murkier aspects of yourself. And both are completely valid. The difference is interesting to discuss, though, with regards ending therapy. Because for me, the process of drawing to a close with my current therapist would need to be done delicately and gradually. Yeah. With a plan in mind and a loose, quite long time scale. Yeah. And that's what we've discussed. And also it's what I would like and prefer because at the moment I'm I'm keen to continue my current program of sessions. But yeah. I know that maybe other people are more chill than me and would be happy to wind down in maybe one or two sessions and that's also fine. Yeah. Well I, I mean I think that it would be unusual for any kind of long-term work to be wound down quit, like in a one or two sessions or yeah. anything like that. I think, you know... Unless there was a reason, like someone was moving quickly or mm, yeah. even then, they would need to be done carefully, Yeah, I reckon. And actually, just when you said about um, that you were wanted to do the deep work, so one of the reasons, not one of the reasons, but I had two options with this particular program of therapy, and one of them was to carry on and do a lot of deeper work and for a lot of reasons I felt that I didn't want to do that at this time yeah I I probably will go back and revisit it again but um I just didn't feel like the right time what felt right what my gut was telling me was that this was a natural end point to this particular program of therapy yeah I think we should discuss this idea of the process being more tricky for someone like myself, for example, who's been in the program for a number of years. Yeah. Because it is, outside of anything else, the end of a significant relationship in the client's life. Yeah. And the therapist too, of course. And this will naturally bring up quite a lot of feelings. Endings by their very nature and by association bring up a lot of feelings for humans because we're humans. Yes. We value connection. We want to be together. Mm-hmm. And no matter what way you talk about them, endings are inherently a a kind of a loss or like a severance. Mm -hmm. So when we consider the end of a therapeutic arrangement, we're talking about the end of a regularly scheduled thing that both people turn up to every week, a relationship. 
an explorative dynamic. Mm. So it makes total sense when you look at it that way that people, as I gathered from these papers I found, sometimes freak the bag <laughs> when they're about to wrap things up with their therapist. <laughs> yeah. Like, how could you not? It would be it would be unusual not to, to be course, like, okay, yeah. bye. Thanks. Yeah. So one therapeutic manual I find had this to say. Okay. I'm going to read a big long quote that Emma okay, doesn't no. like. Thinking about the goals of psychodynamic psychotherapy is the best way to decide when to end the treatment. Either therapist or patient can introduce the subject of ending. Giving patients some encouragement to stay is not against the rules. If patients are about to leave and the therapists think it's not a good idea, they can tell them they think they should stay as long as they remain consciously aware of transference and countertransference feelings that might be at play. Staying alert to the possibility that countertransference feelings are informing the ideas about ending is key to handling the situation in the best way possible. There are some things that are typical of ending. Knowing about them will help one's listening during this affect-filled phase. Regression, mourning and finding a replacement relationship. Mm. And that is from Psychodynamic Psychotherapy, a clinical manual, second edition. I know what you've been doing in the library. Having a thrilling time. <laughs> I was having a great time. I was meant to be doing something totally different from my course. But um, all this stuff is just, do you know what's just out there? All this yes. information that you can just find and you I can know, read it. I love it so and much. And you're allowed. Like you don't need to tell me, honestly. I love it. <laughs> um, so I do think that this is extremely important and that... Um, we'd be sensitive to endings because they are so significant. So endings, when they happen in your life, outside of the clinical relationship, outside of the therapeutic relationship, are significant. The end of a relationship, the end of a life, all of those things are so huge that they're bound to bring up feelings for people within the therapeutic relationship. Um, so... I, I don't really know of, I think most therapists, except when there is a set number of sessions, would be sensitive to ending um, therapy, putting a plan in place for the ending of therapy. Yeah. And finding out when when that should be, like what are the signs that, that therapy should naturally come to an end. So for me, what hap what just happened there was I was starting to think to myself, I am not feeling the same about going. I feel like um, I have less to bring. I felt like I was diving to the bottom of my emotional laundry basket of problems being like, oh, well, maybe I should just bring that this week and I could maybe, you know, deal with that now. What? And because I, well, I was really, I didn't have enough to bring is the thing. So that's what I started to feel. And I thought I am going to bring up to my therapist the possibility of ending sometime soon. And during the conversation, she, without me bringing up the, the topic of ending, she said, do you think you're you're wanting to try and work towards an ending? Wow. So she sensed it without me having to say it. That's how good she is. Damn. Yeah, Attuned. she sensed it. So what Rogers, Carl Rogers, had to say about when uh, a client might be moving towards an ending was that... Um, Client and therapist are actively collaborating to explore ways in which newfound confidence can be used and expressed in the world outside. Clients are open to experience and are able to trust their own feelings and have developed a strong internal locus of evaluation. Mm. So essentially what he's saying is that once you start to be like, now that I, you know, I'm feeling that I want to engage in relationships with people or now that I feel confident to do this thing, oh, I could use this 
skill. I could use this healing to go out and do this in the world. And the therapist and the client are working on that together. Go, yes, that would be interesting. And how would you feel if you did that and that kind of thing? And that is one of the first signs that we're probably working towards an end. And the relationship might go on for a little while longer while the therapist supports them in exploring these these new abilities or these rekindled abilities. Um, but usually that's that's like kind of the first sign that hmm. the therapist or the, the client is moving on from the therapeutic relationship. They're not relying on it as much. Yeah. And also the other thing that I wanted to bring up whenever we were going to be talking about endings was in my new world of Twitter that I inhabit. Mm. There's a um, group or a page called Therapist Connect. I'd say I don't even know what the lingo is. I think it's a page. Profile. Yeah, profile. It's called Therapist Connect, but different people use it. And um, they were talking about endings. And so they were talking about, so what you know, how do you have a good ending? What characterizes an ending? So they were saying things like it illustrates a shift in mindset from the working phase to the termination phase. So that's what I've been doing for the past three weeks Mm -hmm. is it's been in a termination phase. So we both know the ending is coming and um, we're talking over things that have happened during the course of the therapeutic relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, it's like the conclusion of an academic um, essay. We're not bringing up any new points at, the, oh, <laughs> at this time. Yeah, I yeah. mean, we, we might, but um, we would bring them up and and think about, well, what, how, what are you, how are you going to deal with that given that we're ending yeah. this relationship? You what know? have you learned so far? Or how like, could you, yeah, what skills could you bring to that sort of thing? Because we're in the ending, we're in the termination phase wow. rather than in the working phase. And that's an important important adjustment to make in working towards ending. But in my counselling work that I did, I mentioned I used a six-session model, which is eyebrow time for Hannah. And I know already what you think about this, but I am here to tell you people often had a useful experience. Oh, yeah, I, don't, did. I don't doubt that any, but like we always say something is better than nothing. Yes. Like doing it is better than not doing it. There's no, I would never say, oh, don't bother. It's only six sessions. I would never say that. No. But uh, I just, I crave the depth. Yes. Obviously it wasn't depth work. Yeah. But we worked on things like unhelpful thinking patterns. They were listened to. They were heard. I encouraged them. And sometimes if six sessions really didn't seem enough, I would extend their sessions. So I would go to my supervisor and I would say, I would like to give them more sessions. And she would say, why do you need more sessions? (laughs) And I would say, and she would say, what are you going to do in those sessions? And she would really make me justify those sessions. She was an amazing supervisor. good. Um, Tough. And um, within those sessions then as well, so the first session was an assessment, like a history. We did the core questionnaire in the first session, the middle session and the end session. And when you sent, so you essentially have four sessions and an ending session. So mm-hmm. you have the you have an assessment session. You've got four sessions, and then you've got an ending session. You know, so I know I'm it, making it sound even shorter, but on you know session five, you would be reminding that it's the final session next yeah. week, and you would do the final core questionnaire. And sometimes you would share their scores with them to show the progress. 
And then we would often discuss what plans they had for managing things going forward. And sometimes they could come back for another six sessions later. Like there was no kind of, you know, they couldn't, they didn't have a limit yeah. to how many times they could come back. Um, one time we had training on um, a technique called motivational interviewing, which is another quite directive technique, which can be used in counselling. It uses a lot of affirmations um, and the idea is to create forward momentum. And the guy, when he was training us, said, you know, if you had a 10 minute session with somebody, don't think about it like you only have 10 minutes. We can't do anything 10 minutes. Instead, think we have a whole 10 minutes we could do something with this mm. time here. And I find that very helpful and and true. Um, and I consider that concept in my research work as well. If somebody's working with a parent, they could do a brief intervention which would make as much positive difference as some of the negative things that parents experienced have had in the opposite way. Mm -hmm. So all of that is basically me defending <laughs> my, the brief <laughs> sessions the brief model but also just in terms of this brief model and then I promise I will stop um, I came across something actually just in the last few days about endings which I think speaks to this situation where you have a set number of sessions and it said it's never too early to have the idea of endings in the room so this was written by someone who was working with children in care um, and her name is Georgia Swift. I think she was writing in therapy today. Um, but she pointed out that children in care have had numerous experiences of endings that are sudden, unexpected and often traumatic. Mm. And that this can leave them with a lot of uncertainty and anxiety around forming connections. And so this person was saying that she uses her opportunity working with children and young people to model positive endings with them. So they discuss them from the start. They often mark them in some way. They have a bit of a ceremony. And she's saying that they can carry this learning, that an ending can be within their control forward into their lives. Oh, that's really nice. That's lovely. So it can be a real learning opportunity. Yeah. To think well, about endings. And that makes me think of that saying, you know, what's harmed in relationship has to be healed in relationship. Yes. Like she's, she's that might be the only time or the first time for those young people that they see or or a part of a positive ending, and that is healthier than not entering into any relationship at all mm -hmm. to avoid ending. That's very yeah, very beautiful. Georgia Swift. Yes. Well, um, that is that was in Therapy Today, which is the BACP therapy based journal. A magazine. It's a magazine. A magazine. Do you want to hear the problem? Yes, definitely. Let's hear the problem. I'm going to read you this problem, but I haven't read this problem. Okay. Um, so this will be a surprise. Let's see to how me. this goes. <laughs> so, problem reads I know you're planning an episode about endings, and I wanted to ask this question. I'm about to finish therapy, and there are a lot of reasons for this, but mainly it just feels like the right time. My issue is, in these last few sessions, I feel like my therapist is annoyed with me about finishing. Ah. I had a bit of a setback and when discussing these problems, it seemed like she was saying that I am wrong to be stopping therapy because I am not dealing with my problems. Ah. She could be right, but the bigger problem is, it feels weird that she is annoyed about it. What is going on? Well. What's ca that's very complicated. This is so interesting because we were talking about this exact thing. So there's some issue of transference, transference or counter-transference here, isn't there? I would say 
both? It could be both, yeah. So it's it's hard to know if she is, um, if she is projecting onto the therapist and thinking that because maybe in her past she has faced disapproval mm-hmm. about leaving or ending or stopping something, that she is interpreting this disapproval from her therapist. I think that's very common. Like just thinking of my female friends especially mm-hmm. the amount of times that we say to each other are you annoyed with me uh-huh. and the other will go no <laughs> what would I even be annoyed about like it's I think it's very prevalent especially for women young women to be like I am assuming this person is a woman I don't know why just from the tone um but to suspect that other people are annoyed at you yeah and then if you imagine in in the parameters of a delicate thing like you're about to end therapy that might be super heightened yes and you might be going oh my god I'm putting her out of a job suddenly the weight of her entire career is on your shoulders and it needn't be um, <laughs> yes you have because this happens catastrophize that for sure <laughs> yeah I mean speaking as an anxious young woman I think this young woman is quite anxious yeah well I mean I definitely do that um I I always think that that people are annoyed with me yeah and um, I much less than I used to, to be fair, but it is something that, and the more anxious I am, the more I think everybody's really annoyed with me. <laughs> <laughs> There's no evidence of that at all. I do it as well, but actually, sometimes I am quite annoying, so <laughs> it's probably fair. But yeah, what's your read on that? Yeah, well, I'm. I mean, one of, one of the things that I find is we end up answering these things and then we are laughing and we're we're laughing at ourselves we're never ever laughing at the no I just realized that we were because we did that we were sort of giggling last time about things there was one time that we were talking about training birds to fly down the chimney and stuff like that now we mess around I'm not you know that people understand what they're getting into when they send us a problem so I don't want to apologize for us too much but I do want to say that I understand what this person is feeling and that it's really tricky like it feels yeah. kind of like have I done something wrong do they are they annoyed with me mm. because they have done that thing that we mentioned in one of these you I think in the, the thing that you read you said um you can suggest that somebody continues therapy provided you're doing it in a healthy way that is yeah you know honest and transparent and not counter-transference essentially yeah you need to have proper reasons other than just like well I just think they're wrong I yeah, don't I think, think they you should, should stay leave. I yeah. don't think you're I don't think you're well don't I leave you that's should stay. stupid you're so mental did you not realize yeah like they won't do it and that's she says at the end here she could be right but the bigger problem is that it feels weird that she's annoyed about it what is going on she sounds quite bewildered yes so um and that would say suggest to me that actually this relationship has been good and that the so this is an anomalous feeling or mm. situation that she this therapist who has presumably been not annoyed with her the whole time otherwise why would you stay <laughs> um seems annoyed with her and that that's weird to her she's the like word this is weird seems is key because mm-hmm. she's used it a few times the writer in her has used that a few times yeah seems like I feel like she's annoyed and any therapist who's worth their salt will not be passive aggressive about feelings that they're having about the relationship ending no if they think oh they want to terminate and I don't think it's quite the right time they should 
And in most cases, we'll have like a straightforward, normal, professional conversation with you about it. Yeah. They won't be like, huh, right, okay, you want to leave? Fine. Mm. That There's no place for that in in any kind of therapeutic no. relationship. So what was my point, Emma? Well, I, I think that you're, you're sensing that this writer inner is feeling unsure as to whether they're even picking this up correctly because it it seems like they could be wrong. It yeah. seems like they might be annoyed, but it seems like they've also, that might be not what's and happening. The confusion, the fact that the writer inner is feeling confusion suggests to me that it is their own maybe anxieties mm. around stopping the therapy that are that are making all this feeling happen. Yeah. Um, I would say that if you can try and, you know, uh, that quote that I read from Rogers about um, using your own locus of evaluation. So try and think to yourself, do I want to finish? Is it the right time for me to finish? Because like I was saying earlier, um, I had two options. So I could have stayed on and done deeper work or I could have finished now, which was convenient for a number of reasons. And I sort of, I was sort of trusting my gut and also was feeling a lot better. I'm feeling like there was much less need to go. Yeah. Um, So I would say really try and trust your gut. And then, you know, if you're acting based on what you want and what your intentions are for this therapy journey, then you have to ignore that anyway. Because mm. it is possible that this therapist is has got some, some issues have come up for them about you leaving. Maybe they've had a lot of clients that have left at the wrong time when they still needed to do some stuff. Um, maybe they are, you are picking up the, the right thing. But that shouldn't stop you. That doesn't, you don't have to change what you're doing because of that. Oh, yeah. True. Yeah, yeah. If you think it's right uh, and you're not in like, you know, a situation that's dangerous or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and if that was the case, the therapist would deal with that directly and sensitively mm. instead of just doing eyebrows. No. Here's a question. Yeah. For you. Would you bring that up in your next therapy session? What? If you if you were this writer inner, would you go into your next because presumably they've got a number of sessions before they end. Right. Would you go into the next one and go, I wanted to ask you something. I felt like you were kind of annoyed with me about ending, or you maybe thought I shouldn't end or That's hard to answer because um if this was me, mm. if if this was my personality writing this in, I would have already been like, Are you annoyed at me? <laughs> So you think I shouldn't end then? So like, so anyway, that's bullshit what I said. I'm not going to leave. Anyway, so how are you? (laughs) So, I mean, I would, you know, through tears, I would be sort of saying, do you think that this is the right decision? But like, it's complicated. Like you said, you said earlier, you don't bring up things that are new when you're in the, in the termination Mm. process. But this is about ending. really a new thing. Um, And I think it can only be useful to ask the question, are you annoyed at me? What one or two one of two things will happen. Either the therapist will say, No, I'm not annoyed at you at all. I maybe have a concern around XYZ and you'll discuss. Or the therapist will reply, I think I am a bit annoyed at you and maybe we should talk about it and here's what I'm feeling. And it might be the fucking best therapy session you ever have. Yeah. And you might learn so much stuff. 
If you've felt safe enough to get to this point with this therapist, then I think you can ask that question and you can trust that they will respond to you in a way that's going to be useful for you. Because the main thing, if we've learned anything in these last 16 episodes, Hannah, <laughs> it's that the therapy is about the client's process. That's the client's process is absolutely right. It's primary. So if your therapist is worth their salt, they will respond to that question. I so I would, I definitely would go in and mm. say next, you know, next time I felt like you were kind of annoyed with me for ending. That's what I picked up on and that threw me. Mm. And I think you're right. I think the therapist will respond in one of two ways and either of those will be hopefully useful to you. Yeah, for sure. So hopefully that's this is one situation where the answer is not go to therapy. Oh, yeah. But the answer is kind of continue to talk to your therapist about <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, okay, fair <laughs> enough. Um, so it's not entirely the same as what we usually say. Yeah, I'm keeping a tally in my head of how many times we say that. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't want to know, actually. So this is our 16th episode, Hans. Sixteen. Yeah, we, we've skipped a week, um, and so you guys will get this at the start of December and I had an idea for uh, an episode that we could do in the coming weeks oh yeah oh, happy Hanukkah by the way oh thank you happy Hanukkah happy Hanukkah started or Hanukkah started yesterday or the day before we're on day three of um you know the band Haim mm-hmm. um they did a whole Instagram video hilariously with different hats on Aww. dreidels <laughs> um and um, doing a hot, they were going lahayim. You know, they're I so can't adorable. Do the noise, I can't. My no. Yiddish is really bad. But come on, Emma. Sorry, <laughs> brush up on your Yiddish. <laughs> I please. will. I'll get on to that <laughs> momentarily. So what I was thinking, and then we had Thanksgiving as well. So well, we didn't have Thanksgiving. I'm 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 cool on Thanksgiving as a general holiday. It's yes, difficult. I know. I know. Uh, they're working through their the you know, the difficulties with, with Thanksgiving and it, you know, and, you know, all the atrocities, basically, the associated atrocities. So, um, but it happened, Thanksgiving happened, and um, then we're coming up to Christmas. So I thought we could do an episode about the challenges of navigating the holidays. Oh my God, yes. Let's do that. Okay. I was so. in therapy earlier and for like the maybe the past three sessions I've been saying I'm I'm just really worried about Christmas I'm quite worried about Christmas right and, and my therapist asked me today like what are you worried about for Christmas and I was like it's fucking Christmas <laughs> it's a nightmare <laughs> <laughs> so I think I'll have plenty to say about the issue of the holidays okay cool because that's the time that you spend with your family it is and people find that challenging and that is not without its complications not at all that's a great idea Okay, and then we so, may have a week off for Christmas. I think we will have a few weeks off in the coming weeks just because this uh, year has been very difficult. Also, I have 86,000 exams yes. happening now as well. Um, one of the things that I wanted to you know, try and continue is to make episodes that people find helpful. Um, and one of the things that people had come up about the bad therapy experiences was somebody had said like, oh, I'm, I can't wait to hear that. I have like a bingo cards worth of, of bad therapy, <laughs> yeah. but but good ones as well. Yeah. And um, so I do think that at this time of year, 
a lot of people are having that holiday anxiety. And so I think it's important that we can try and find something to help people navigate that and yeah. see what what advice there is out there in the psychological realm. Maybe we should make it a two-parter and then people can, if they're feeling overwhelmed during the holiday period, they can sneak off and listen to it and there'll be plenty of stuff to listen to. Yes, and I would like to recommend an episode of something which helped me very significantly in recent days, um, which is back to our old favourite, This Young in Life. Ah, TJL. I think it's episode 152 and it's about chronic anger and uh, resentment. Nice. And I find it very helpful in thinking about how I can deal with encountering chronically angry people in the world it was very very helpful i would highly recommend we have to get back to recommending things as well hans we haven't recommended anything in ages i haven't been consuming any media i've just been doing university work yes and i've been watching succession that's my one media we still haven't started succession i i will we start it we've started series two of tiger king that's what we've Uh, what yeah is there more series two of tiger king there's more story to tell Yes. Yeah, I was not aware. It's ridiculous. I think I'm just going to give that one a miss. Takes <laughs> 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 me back to early lockdown and yes, I don't want to go back there. Yes, it's your prerogative. I know it definitely does, yeah. It's very interesting in that way. So thanks, Hannah. Thanks, Emma. Thanks, thanks therapy. therapy. Oh, fuck, I lost my train of thought by saying words. <laughs> Put your change your bling. bling. Yeah. <laughs> I always do that. <laughs> do you? I do. Yeah, I fix ones that. But how do you do it if I haven't said a replacement word? You did say bring it immediately after it. He oh. just cuts out the bling. Bling. Bling of feelings. <laughs> verified I, information. Okay, thanks. Um, that's not true. That's not verified. <laughs> that's me. Nothing is verified on this podcast. <laughs> Disclaimer. 